0: All right, as we come back together, I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs 1 7. For those of you who are new to us, we have had over the last several weeks the privilege of opening the Word of God to the book of Proverbs in a new series. And I've entitled this particular message as I did. Last uh, time we met, as I was preaching to you, two Sundays ago, and we'll do so probably for a couple of more, and that is the title, Where Wisdom Begins and Ends, subtitled, The Fear of the Lord. And what I mean by that is that in the Bible you find that this particular phrase, the fear of the Lord, or the fear of God, or fearing God, fearing Him, is mentioned many, many times. And this particular motif, the motif of the fear of the Lord, fills out our understanding of what it means to be wise in this life. And I say where wisdom begins and ends, because in Proverbs 1.7 it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so it says very clearly there that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You haven't even begun to be wise, the Bible asserts, until you understand in a beginning way the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And then I also say it is the end of wisdom as well, because at the end of the wisdom book, Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, it says this in verse 13, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. And that's why I say that the fear of the Lord is both the beginning and the end of all wisdom. And that this particular concept, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is a, is a motto, a motif in the Scripture that explains what it means to live skillfully in the world that God has created. And that's why I say wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. This is the motto of wisdom literature. This is how it can all be summed up. And if you remember last time, I defined this phrase, the fear of the Lord, with a twofold definition. I said that practically speaking, the fear of the Lord is both holy reverence and a healthy dread of God, Yahweh. The fear of the Lord can be defined very practically speaking as a holy reverence, a holy awe, a holy occupation with thinking of the thought of God and also a healthy dread of the person of God. God is to be seen by us as both reverent and holy and awe-inspiring, but He's also to be perceived by us in a healthy, dreaded way. We dread Him because we see His great power. And I showed you last time, when we began to unfold, biblically speaking, this matter of the fear of the Lord, that there were four categorizations, four ways, four means that show us in the Bible what this matter of the fear of God actually means for us in our daily life. And I said to you, both in part one and part two, of this little series on Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord, is that the fear of the Lord first is understood in light or in the context of the power of God. I showed you that about over 25 verses that we went through in parts 1 and 2 of this series, the power of God in relationship to the understanding of the fear of God. All of those passages, in some way or another, showed us in unmistakable terms that to understand the fear of God was at least to first understand the mighty power of God. I said to you that the fear of God is to be seen because He controls all dreams, at least as it was expressed with Abimelech and Abram or Abraham that the fear of God is to be seen by us because God is an avenger, because of His sheer power, because of His awesome voice, because of His miracles, because of His chastisements, which become our advertisements of who He is. We should fear God because of His mighty hand, because of His thunder and rain, because of His wonderful deeds, because of His awesome majesty, His powerful creation. His resplendency, His transcendency, His anger and fury, His splendor and beauty, His wonderful fashioning of human beings. We should fear God because He is true, because of His damnation powers, because of His eternal kingdom, His control of all of the animals of the world, for the good of His name among the nations, because He's rectifying and purifying and refining all things, because of His Son, the Son of Righteousness. We should fear God because of His destruction power, for His mercy power, His condemnation power, His power of signs and wonders, His eternal reign, His glory power, His great and marvelous works in His power, and His salvation glory. We looked at all of those passages in those two messages together, and that's not enough. The Bible wants to explain more of who this God is. I mean, looking at 25 or 30 verses and seeing the great power of God is not enough. The Bible wants to show for us more of the fear of God. And there's a second P word that we want to see. Not just His power, but also to fear God means to live in light of His presence. His presence. Not just His power, but also His presence. And you know when I looked at my concordance, And I began to understand the fear of God in a new and a fresh way. I understood it in light of His great presence. I should fear God because when I give Him holy awe and holy reverence, and when I dread Him in a healthy way, I do so because I understand this God as to His presence in my life. His valuable, sustaining, ever present existence in my life. We could say it to the children, and we should, and in my family we often do, we say we should not do this or that or we should do this or that because God is watching. God is watching us. He sees everything that we do and we live in the light of the eternal presence of God. And we see the fear of God unmistakably and unquestionably brought to us underneath this particular qualification or this banner, fearing God because of His presence. And to see this, I want to take you through a number of passages. Again, I don't know how many I can go through this morning, and what we don't go through this morning we'll figure out tonight and next time. But I want you to go in your Bibles, first of all, to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, in order for you and for myself to see the fear of God in light of His presence, that He's watching, that He's here. Why should we fear God? Why should we see His holy and awesome name before our eyes? Why should we see Him as the healthy one to whom we dread? Why should we do this? Because God is here. He's present with us. Exodus chapter 1. You remember the great story of the Hebrew midwives, the Hebrew women who were in charge of helping birth the Hebrew babies from their mother's wombs. And in Exodus chapter 1, we find out about the fear of God even in something like that. Notice verse 15, Exodus 1.15, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other was named Puah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. In other words, this was a, a kind of vengeance on the part of the king, the king of Egypt, so that he could control the Hebrew people. And in verse 18 it says, So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And let the boys live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. Verse 20, So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God. He established households for them. You know why they did what they did? You know why they allowed these sons to live and to defy the king of Egypt's commandment? Not just because the quickness of the birth of these Hebrew babies, but because principally they feared God. And God had told them in no uncertain terms, by the very commandment of Himself, you shall not take a life. All the way back in Genesis 9, it was the idea, don't murder. This would have been murder. And they knew that because they lived in the presence of God Himself, He was in their very life; He was before their very eyes. They weren't going to violate the God of heaven, who for them also was the God of earth. We should fear God, beloved, because of His presence, even in the childbirth process. How many of you have ever been involved in the childbirth process, especially as a husband, where you're in that room and you watch that childbirthing process occur before your very eyes? I would dare say that in my life, I have sensed, at least in terms of a visceral reaction, The power and the presence of God never as when I'm in the process of watching a baby being birthed. Isn't that right? When you see that baby come out of that womb, when you see that process occurring, you understand at least better than you did before what it means to know the God of babies. The God who causes the birth of those children. The God who creates even the very conception of a man and a woman coming together. And seeing this baby as a result. It is a a thing to fear. It is a thing to rejoice in. It is the thing to have holy awe and reverence for God because you're seeing before your eyes what many call, and I agree, a, a, a miraculous occurrence where God injects into the life of human beings that which is both natural and supernatural because God puts in the very heart of that child the spirit of that child. Genesis chapter 1. It is, it is the fear of God lived out before your eyes. And we ought, to, we ought to fear this God because we see the presence of God as lived out in that context. That's what was going on with these midwives. That's why they did what they did. There's another example. Look in Exodus chapter 18. And you're going to be upset with me as I go through these verses because I'm going to go through them so very quickly. And as I said last time we met on Sunday evening, blessed is he who writes down these verses and studies them on their own. Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. This, of course, was the example of Jethro telling Moses that he's too busy. And he gives them advice, and he says in verse 21 of Exodus 18, Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men, and look at the first qualification, men who fear God, men of truth, Those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them, that is the people, as as leaders over these people, of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, let them judge the people at all time, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. What's the what's the first qualification of a man who is to judge people with equity and with fairness? fear of god knowing that as i judge the people i stand before the god of creation that i stand before the god who has created me as a human being that i stand before the god who is watching everything that i'm doing and knows every adjudication of my heart we fear god because of his presence even in our leadership that's what every spiritual leader should do that's what every governor every president every king Every ambassador should do. They should live in light of the presence of God and they should fear Him as a result. So sad they don't, so many of them. You heard, no doubt, this weekend of the story of virtually every leader, every royal family member in Nepal being gunned down by one of their own family members then turning the gun on himself and really only one, the only one who survived is one who's in critical condition and has been named the king because he's a part of the royal family. Obviously, they didn't live in the presence of the fear of God, at least the one who took those lives. We fear God because of His presence in childbirth. We also fear God because of His presence in leadership. Here's another, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25. I wish we had more time to develop all of these, but at least we can go through them as quickly as we can to show you the sweep of what Scripture says about the fear of God. Leviticus chapter 25, beginning in verse 17. This is the daily relationships of the Hebrew people to each other. And here's what God says. Here's His outline. Verse 17 of Leviticus 25. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God for I am the Lord your God. Why should I not swindle another person? Why should I deal with someone else in a just way? Why should I refrain from wronging one another for the very reason that the Bible says, because or but you shall fear your God? Why? For the Lord your God is your God. You should fear God because of His presence in your business and relational transactions. Boy, wouldn't that clean up business relationships. Wouldn't that clean up relationship transactions, whether it's over money or produce or whatever it might be. We fear God because when I'm dealing with another person, I see that that person themselves have been created in the image of God and I don't want to do anything to defraud such a person because I fear the great God of the universe, the Lord God. He's watching. He's seeing what I'm doing. He knows whether I'm giving that person enough money. We may not live in the economy in which an Ananias and Sapphira keep back a portion of their income and then lie about it and then are struck dead forever. We may not be living in that kind of economy. We're in the economy of grace that gives us such a mentality that God is the ultimate judge. He may not take us out at that moment, but we ought to live as though He might. We ought to live as though He might. We ought to live in light of His presence, His sheer presence so that our business and relational transactions are taken care of in the way that pleases Him. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10. This tells us about the fear of God as well. This tells us about the fear of God living in His presence in the context of a loving relationship with one another and with Him, principally with Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, look at verse 12. Moses, of course, is... Reinstituting the law for the people, and he says in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 10 Now, Israel, now, Israel, now, listen up. What does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, holy reverence, healthy dread, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him. Do you see that there? To love him. That means I live in light of the presence of God, I have a loving relationship with God. We have an intimacy together, we have a relationship. I want to love Him. That's that's how I walk in His ways. I love Him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Verse 15 talks about your fathers not setting their affection to love the people and God. Verse 16, circumcise your heart That means uh, have a a heart that is circumcised, uh, that loves God, that is soft toward God, and stiffen your neck no longer. Why? Verse 17, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Verse 20, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him. I love that. Cling to your God. Why should I fear Him? Because in His presence I have the awesome opportunity to cling to Him. I'm like a little boy who clings to the leg of His Father. Loving His Father. Not wanting to be out of the presence of His Father. That's what we should do to our Lord. That's what it means to fear God. It it means to live in light of His presence in a loving relationship. Deuteronomy chapter 13, just a couple of chapters over. Chapter 13, verse 3, we should fear God because of His presence in testing our love for Him. How often is it true that we might say we love God, we might say that we want to cling to Him, we might say that we desire intimacy with Him, but there's going to be a test. Do I really love this God in this way? Do I really want to live in light of His presence in this fashion? Deuteronomy 13, verse 3, Again, Moses instructing the people, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet. What prophet? That prophet who does false signs and wonders. Or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. That's our key phrase. And you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him. And then that lovely phrase, and cling to Him. You have issues in your life for which right now you have really no other hope but to cling to the Lord? It may be that you and I would otherwise be deceived and duped by false teachers, by someone who comes and says, I'm doing signs and wonders in the name of the Lord. And Moses says, don't believe all of them that say they're doing that. And by the way, it says in verse 2, and the sign or the wonder comes true. What does that tell you? That tells you that there are going to be some masquerading again as angels of light who will produce some kind of sign, some kind of wonder, and it actually at some points comes true. There are people who can produce real signs and real wonders, but in a false way because their hearts aren't right with God. They're really not clinging and loving God as He's commanding them. They're in it for their own gain or they're in it for their own following. And Moses says, don't follow after them. Follow after the true prophets. And one of the ways that you can do that is by your own heart and your own soul following the Lord your God and fearing Him and keeping His commandments and listening to His voice, not a false voice, and serving Him and clinging to Him. We should bask in the presence of a loving God, clinging to Him. We should live in light of His presence because of the fear of God. He's the only one who can tell us the difference between the true and the false. He's the only one that we can gain discernment as to who is teaching the truth and who is teaching falsehood, who's doing the false signs and wonders, and who is the true prophet of God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. Deuteronomy 14, 23. Again, in the context of their relationship to food and their relationship to their produce, you shall eat, notice this, this is an amazing verse, you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God. Isn't that amazing? Something that we might consider to be one of the most mundane activities of life, food and drink, eating and all that comes with it. It's the First 1 Corinthians 10.31, isn't it? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Do it all to the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The fear of God the fear of God. You have produce. You've yielded a great crop. He says you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where He chooses to establish His name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. In other words, you eat in the presence of God because you understand it's the food that has come to you from God. You haven't, you haven't harvested this crop because of your own imaginative hand. It isn't your doing, it isn't your ingenuity that allows you to bring produce out of the ground for yourself and your family and others to eat. Don't be so proud and arrogant to think that you live in the light of your own fear, that you're the ingenious one who's developing your own crop, and then when all is said and done, you don't even give back the Lord what is due Him the tenth of your produce. He says, every time you sit down at a meal, that's why we pray, don't we, before a meal. We sit down and we say, God, you're the one who brought this to us. We live in light of the fear of your name because you're the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You're the one who produces all the crop of the world. And if you allowed it to dry up at a moment, it would happen. And if you allowed it to be in abundance, it would happen. You're in charge of it all. We ought to fear God because of His presence in the giving of our material wealth back to Him. Could it be that some of us are not always having the money that we need because we're not gracious givers? Because we don't give as we should? Because we don't live in light of the fear of God? Could it be that we don't always have the kinds of food and produce and material wealth all bound up in this passage because we're not fearing God as we should? Joshua chapter 22 Joshua twenty two, and I'm just going through the scripture with you, understanding this magnanimous sense of the fear of God. Joshua twenty two. You remember the sin of Achan. Achan again, like Ananias and the Sapphira, held something back. He stole something. He took part of the booty, some of the, the riches, the treasure, and he held it. He put it under his tent. And in verse 20 it says, "Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban, the ban, that which God said, "Don't take and he, te- and he took, and wrath fall on the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. In other words, his whole family perished, which is an amazing concept. If you've ever read that passage, you understand this: Achan alone sinned his sin, did he not? And yet what was the judgment? What was the consequences? The children of Israel and the leaders took all of the people out into the open area and what did they do? They slaughtered the entire family, man, woman, and child. You say, that's unfair. No, it isn't. God was showing this, that if you do not do what God says, it's not only your sin, but it has an effect on your family as well. You know what Achan was modeling? He was modeling for that family that you can disregard God. You don't have to live in the fear of His presence. You don't have to trust God. You don't have to do what He says. And guess what happens with that kind of modeling often enough? People start doing it. Sons start stealing. And sons of sons start stealing. And finally, the whole family is in debauchery. And God says, I want to show by a very crucial object lesson to the whole children of Israel. All of you in Achan's family are going to die And it's interesting, even in the language of this passage, it says this, Achan sinned, and all Israel sinned. Why? Because he's one, but he's not only one, he's one of many. He's a part of a community. That's how Paul could say, we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. That's why we call it the body of Christ. There aren't lone ranger Christians. You sin a sin, you sin a sin not only against your God, but against your family. You sin a sin against the body of Christ. You sin a sin against the local church. It may not mean what it meant here, but it certainly is giving us the same idea. We live in the fear of God, we live in light of His presence because of what Achan did. Notice what happens in verse 21. Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. Don't you know that after Achan and his entire family was wiped out, this would be an important message to the rest of them? Verse 22, The Mighty One, God, the Lord, the Mighty One, God, the Lord, He knows. And may Israel itself know if it was in rebellion or if in an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. In other words, we accept the consequences if what has happened is a sin of rebellion or an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built up, built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if to offer a burnt offering or grain offering on it, or if to offer sacrifices of peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it. But truly, We have done this out of concern for a reason, saying, in time to come to your sons, you may say to our sons, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? In other words, it's the very application. Look, if Achan did this, and if his sons had the consequences, we want to be able, those who survive him, to say to us and our sons, don't do it. Don't do that. Fear God. Bring sin offerings to Him. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you, you sons of Reuben and sons of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord so your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. In other words, we can't be involved with any children, even children of Israel, even any sons of Reuben or sons of Gad if you cause your sons to stop fearing the Lord. That's how serious fear of the Lord is. That's how serious fear of the Lord is. We have to stop everybody, even our own countrymen, and we ought to bring up offerings and we ought to separate ourselves with the Jordan in between as a witness against those and those men's sons who are causing the stopping of the fear of the Lord. We ought to separate ourselves from them. Well, they understood something about the fear of God, didn't they? They understood what it meant to to be in holy reverence to this God, to stand with this this healthy dread before this great, powerful God. And in His presence, we do what He says. We're not like Achan. We're not like his deceased family. We're not like those who don't learn their lesson from this. We don't stop our sons from the lesson to be learned by this, and that is to fear God, to live in His presence. We fear God because of His presence in showing our relationship with the Lord to succeeding generations. That's what Joshua 22 is telling us. You show your sons by your life, by your ministry, by your approach to God. You show your sons and the succeeding generations what it means to obey God, to avoid those evil consequences. And you know what you show? You show your sons that you live in light of the presence of God. God matters to you. Second Kings chapter 17 2nd Kings 17 Just over and over and over again this key phrase the fear of God is listed God is giving us a motif a motto saying that the fear of God is the most important aspect of our relationship to God as human beings why because it shows us how we're to live in his glory in his presence 2nd Kings chapter 17 verse 6 Israel was taken captive by Assyria, and in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Hebor on the river of Gozan and in the city of the Medes. Now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. In other words, they did exactly opposite of what the illustration of Achan was designed to implement. They didn't think about the fear of the Lord. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up from the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly which were not right against the Lord their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified cities. They set for themselves sacred pillars and Asherim, false god, on every high hill and under every green tree. And they had burned incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord. Look at verse 24. The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and Sopharvaim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in places of the sons of Israel. So they possessed Samaria and lived in the cities. At the beginning of their living there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have carried away into exile in the cities of Samaria do not know the custom of the God of the land. So he has sent lions among them, and behold, they killed them because they did not know the custom of the God of the land. And what is that custom? To fear God. You live in light of his presence. You don't do this evil. The king of Assyria wanted to try to make it right, and the men of Babylon, in verse 32, this is amazing. Here was the answer. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves priests of the high places who acted for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. What's wrong with that? It says they feared the Lord. What's wrong with that? You know what's wrong with that? You fear the Lord God only. You don't just add God to your life and activities. You don't just say, I'm going to live like a Christian on Sunday, and then every other part of the week I'm going to serve myself or other gods. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. To this day, verse 34, they do, according to the earlier customs, They do not fear the Lord, that is, they do not really fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law or the commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom He named Israel, with whom the Lord made a covenant and commanded them, saying, You shall not fear other gods. It was a command of the Lord. You can't just... Fear me, and then fear other gods, nor bow down yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow yourselves down, and to him you shall sacrifice. In other words, and to him, and to him, and to him, and no other. That's the point. How many people do they say, oh, I serve the Lord. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I give money. Yes, I'm involved in philanthropy and charity. Oh, isn't it so wonderful to serve God and Buddha? Isn't it so wonderful to serve the Christian God and the Hindu God? Isn't it so wonderful that all paths ultimately lead to the same God? We have a pluralistic God today. We have a multicultural God today. We have a mosaic of God today, and it isn't true. God says in Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, I am a jealous God. He says in another place, I will share my glory with no other. Yes, the statutes, verse 37, and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which He wrote for you, you shall observe to do forever, and you shall not fear other gods. Covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Tragically, verse 40, however, they did not listen. Did not listen. Verse 41, so while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols their children likewise, and their grandchildren as their fathers did, so they do to this day. And we could add, and so it happens continually today. The fear of God is to live in light of His presence and nobody else's presence. No supposed God, no supposed King, no supposed Lord, only Yahweh God. Second Chronicles chapter 19 2nd Chronicles 19 you're you're beginning to see I think as I the importance of this concept of the fear of God This is absolutely breathtaking isn't it Passage after passage says fear God fear God live in light of his power live in light of his presence 2nd Chronicles chapter 19 verse 5 Jehoshaphat Judges in the land and all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. Reforms were being instituted. He said to the judges, consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you. Do you see that in the presence of the Lord when you render judgment? Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord your God will have no Hard in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. You fear God because of His presence in childbirth, the very act of the creativity of God. You fear God because of His presence in leadership, because of His presence in your business relationships, in the context of a loving relationship, clinging to God, because of His presence in giving your material wealth back to you. You fear God because of his presence and showing our relationship with the Lord to succeeding generations. We fear God because of his presence in the context of not serving both the Lord and other foreign gods and you serve God, fear him because of his presence and not taking bribes or dealing with partiality. Well, we don't know how big a sin the sin of partiality is in our day. It's so regular, it's so continuous that we don't even recognize it often when it's there, being partial to people, partial to people with money, partial to people with fame, partial to people with prestige, partial to people with preeminence. And yet God shows by the weighted balance of His own, because they lived in light of who God really was. We, we scarcely live in a culture that even acknowledges anything about the true God. And yet, God is the same God as He was then. And we should not be thinking of the slowness of his judgment as though he's inactive. We live in light of this God. We serve in light of this God. We fear God because of who God is. We live in light of his presence. You live in light of his presence. I want you to bow your heads with me. And as you do, I want you to ask yourself do I live in light? Of the presence of Almighty God? Do I make my decisions? Do I see in the birth of my children, in the leadership that I have, in my business transactions, my relationships, even when the Lord tests me about my own obedience, my material wealth, my sons and daughters and what I'm to do to disciple them, my service of the Lord and not myself as my own idol and other idols that I've put up in His place? not taking bribes, not dealing with partiality. Do I live in light of that? Oh God, I confess to You that more often than not I don't seem to be living in that way. I don't seem to be serving in that way. I don't seem to be making choices in that way. And I pray that You would show me through the sheer number of these verses What you are, who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and why we should do what we do in light of presence, Lord, please bring it to pass. We pray that you would do so in the power of your Spirit, by our sin, acknowledging of you as our great God. We pray and believe and trust and hope that we would begin, if not today, whenever you are pleased to show us these things to live in that way, for Christ's sake, amen.